HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hi, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio. And today on A Taste of the Past, we have a special event. I did a live recording at Industry City with Ed Levine. And uh, at Industry City is a kind of a buzzing business and retail hub in Brooklyn. And we have, Heritage Radio has partnered to do a series of on-site recordings. And this one with Ed Levine was terrific. So I'm going to play that for you now. Ed Levine uh, has recently located, he is the founder, uh, the owner and founder of SeriousEats.com. And I'm sure most all of you know about SeriousEats.com. He has relocated their offices to Industry City, and they just opened a brand new test kitchen there in Industry City as well. He has also just written a book about founding SeriousEats.com called Serious Eater, and the following is our conversation about it. Today we're recording from Industry City in Brooklyn, and it's a very exciting place to be. A lot of new shops and, and working space and tons of buildings and a new set of offices as well as Test Kitchen has opened for SeriousEats.com. Now, I'm sure that at least three or four hands would go up to say, how many times have you been on the website Serious Eats this week? And I know I have. <laughs> that's, that's three. Okay. Um, Serious Eats and I'm here with the founder, Ed Levine. Ed, Ed is a kind of a man who wore, but now wears one hat, but wore many hats over the years. That's true. Uh, what do we call you? Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, we call you the, the founder. founder of Serious Eats, a food writer, podcaster, jazz musician, or uh, aficionado. Actually, I booked a jazz club. I was a terrible jazz saxophone player. But I booked a jazz club. I produced records. I've never deviated from my nonlinear career path. So food was always your passion. Well, before that, jazz was jazz. So. Jazz and food. Well, they go well together, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, and you. I mean, you were a TV. You still are a radio host, but you were did a, a TV stint. Yeah, as I have well. a, a a podcast. A series is a podcast called Special Sauce. Right. But seriously, I mean, you are the founder of Serious Eats as well as the creator of Serious Eats. Uh, 
And you were inducted into the James Beard Foundation's hoo-hoo of food and beverage because Serious Eats was not your first venture. Well, it was, it was the first sort of full-fledged entrepreneurial venture. I always had lots of ideas. I was, I was an almost entrepreneur many, many times. But this Serious Eats was the first time where, like, I, I raised money. I, you know, said I wasn't going to do anything else. And, uh, and then I embarked on a nine-year adventure. Well, you did the, and uh, you did your New York Eats book, and then you had some New York Eats. Yeah, that was 1991. Uh, that's when people thought you needed a, um, a visa or a passport to go to Brooklyn. Uh, so it was a, a sort of idiosyncratic guide to non-restaurant food in New York. And uh, at the time I was running an ad agency and I sort of wrote the book in my spare time. I just go to a different neighborhood every weekend and write it up. So while you're running an ad, while you're working in an ad agency, you're writing a book on food. <laughs> yeah, and then I started writing for the Times and uh, did a radio show on WNYC and did a television show on a regional cable network. Right. And so I sort of became a food media person. Well, and you you did so many articles and writing as a journalist for sure uh, for I'm thinking uh, GQ, Business Week, The New York Times. Uh, and your f- stories were always a focus on iconic foods and mostly iconic, well, America, iconic American foods. Sure. So you would do like a, you know, a deep dive into hamburgers, a right, deep dive or bagels into pizza. or cheesecake. Yeah. Mostly, a lot of New York iconic New York foods. Yes. Uh, I mean, I wrote a whole book on pizza uh, called "The Slice of Heaven." So I. It was any food that I loved, I would just take a deep dive into. And that sort of, that, that kind of deep dive became the basis for Serious Eats. Although when I started Serious Eats, I had no idea that it would become a go-to recipe and technique site. So, you know, for the people who have not been on the site this week, and as I say, most of us, you know, refer to, yeah, for, recipe, for recipes and, um, and for... Uh, restaurant reviews, everything. Describe the site for us. I mean, it's really well, now all it's, uh, right? You know, I think we we it's the place where where people go online when they want to sort of get the ultimately tested pasta bolognese, or uh, that's informed by craft and food science and lots of things. Uh, that we bring to the party, the people that write those pieces, like Kenji Lopez-Alt. He was the first recipe developer I hired at Serious Seats, and of course, he wrote, he started the Food Lab as a column on Serious Eats, and then uh, turned it into a, a best-selling book called Food Lab, Better Home Lab, Cooking right. Through Science. Right. So that, uh, until that point, and that sort of set the tone for the site, which was... You know, we're gonna we're gonna test forty ways to make chocolate chip cookies, and 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 write about what we found with a sense of humor. So we take the subject matter seriously without taking ourselves too seriously. 
And that's still what we do today, no matter what we're writing about. We could right. be writing about hard-boiled eggs. We could be writing about uh, pizza. We could be writing about smash burgers. It doesn't really matter. Um, that was our. That was the business plan. It was like have people nerd out on whatever it is they were writing about. And anyone who has actually taken, gone in to watch some of the videos, you say you don't take yourself too seriously. The videos are so friendly. They're so funny. And, yeah, we uh, try. Stella Parks, I would always, she'd always, you know, kind of yes. ham it up a little bit and be a little um, funny. And Daniel Gritzer, they're yeah. all so great. Yeah. They're all, uh, you know, a lot of them started as restaurant cooks or... Stella's case, she was a pastry chef at, at restaurants. Um, and so they bring a lot of craft, but they also, uh, to their cooking, but they also bring writing craft. And again, they have uh, the same values that I had when I started the site, you know, which is really important to me. So Well, now that Kenji Lopez-Alt has gone on to his own things. I mean, yeah, he's although still, he's, still, he's still an advisor to us and he still contributes to us. And Stella Parks as well. I yeah, mean, she's, and you know, Stella is, uh, is on staff. And um, so it's really exciting to well, watch. When, and when I thought of that and then I, I, I read about that and the wonderful people taking their places, uh, I, I realized that you, I kind of likened Serious Eats to Chez Panisse but of the internet. I mean, the because Panisse of digital food. Yeah, because well, you... I take well, that she, as a high compliment. Chez Panisse was a springboard for so many great chefs to go on to their own thing, their own restaurants. And you're a springboard for so many of these food writers and, and developers to go on to their own thing. Yeah, so it's, it's great because someone referred to it as the Serious Eats diaspora. Well, the other yeah. Day. <laughs> and uh, uh, I like that yes. because um, nobody really ever leaves the Serious Eats family, even when they, like Kenji, you know, open a restaurant. You know, he's still involved because they all still care about what we do and about what they do for us. So that's a nice feeling for a founder. Now, if a lot of you aren't, or and some of you aren't familiar with the obsessiveness and detail of Kenji Lopez-Alt, which he gets from the founder as well, uh, he, I guess his most recent article was the first one that he did since leaving for the Food Lab was about, as you mentioned, all those myriad ways to boil an egg. And what's yeah. the well, best way Well, he had done that for Serious Season. Oh, he had. He had and okay. he started doing a monthly column for The Times... It, uh, although he is still working, you know, still doing stuff for us. Um, yes, he and he updated his boiled egg obsession, his hard boiled <laughs> egg obsession. Well, you have always been, as you, as we mentioned before, you wore many hats over the years. As as most of us who ever started out in the food world of a particular age, we all wore many hats because. There was no such thing as the Food Network or the food websites. There was no internet. There were no places for us to go. And food writing was eh, just something people did when they didn't get assigned another job. And then, then of a certain age, things came along where it became a respected yeah. uh, journalist uh, venture. My late mother-in-law actually um, was proud of what I did 
by the time I launched Serious Eats, you yeah, know. Yeah. But you're right, it's food writing is very different than it was. And but you know, for me, I started Serious Eats because uh, you know, as a freelance writer, you you have nothing but lots of gatekeepers in your life that you're always pitching your ideas to. So I didn't want to pitch my ideas anymore be, because I just wanted to do them. And so the web offered the opportunity to do that and food blogs. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's why I started Serious Eats, so I could write about everything I wanted to write about. Yeah, well, it, it's a fabulous site and so on, encompassing. And now also, I mean, nice, too, that you, the money is rolling in finally. And that's always a problem, was where's the money, you know? Well, and, yeah, I mean, we, and, I sold it in 2015 to people who are really good business people. <laughs> but not, and not just blatant um, advertising, but there is, you do have, there is a features on the, on the website for... Um, Machinery. What do you? Yeah, know, well, you know, we test. We could test cast iron pans yeah. or rice cookers. Right. You know, we bring the same obsessive approach and to that. It's very helpful, I think, for people, particularly you know, people starting just starting out in food, to know there's so much out there and to find out what is what's the best thing I can buy. Yeah, what's, and, and, you know. And then there's also so much food media out there. Oh, unbelievable! You know, it's like unbelievable. There's Someone told me there, and it's not just food podcasts, there are a million podcasts now. Yes. Actually, it's, so, over, it's over a million now. Uh, and um, so it's hard to figure out where you can go for reliable information. And that's one of the things we pride ourselves on. It's like if we test cast iron pans or rice cookers, you can trust what you find. Right. Uh, in the results and you know whenever I'm eating out or I'm talking to chefs I always uh, I'm really proud of the fact that the, that the best chefs you know you can find anywhere in the country they all read serious eats because again because it's credible and they know that we do our That's homework right. and that we uh, we're not just tossing stuff off. Right. And as I said, it wasn't your first venture, but of course the internet and, and webzines, what do you call it? What do you call it? Just a website, a web, everything. It's, it's just your yeah. all-in-one web. web and it's also changing. You as know, digital media is changing at the speed of light. So, right, right. Um, uh, and that's why... I wanted to memorialize my experience in the book that you're and Well, that's holding. what I was just going to mention yeah. is that the whole trip, your whole journey, is is uh, written up in your memoir here, Serious Eater. And I first met and saw or knew of Ed, didn't really meet, but as I say, we were in the same room and probably walked with the same people walking by one another. And you came into the Food Network where I was working at the time. I just, I have this vision of you, I think you were probably pushing the... New York Eats book at that yes. time, right? And I still had red hair. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's right, you did. Nobody believes that. Mine who has not changed. Who at Serious <laughs> Eats anymore. I have to show them photos. <laughs> That's uh, great. But, uh, yeah, I mean, at, at one point, actually, it's in the book, 
I was up for the job as president of the Food Network. But then I think it came down to me and somebody much more corporate. I remember and, who that was. And <laughs> uh, it was just like, how could we hire this guy? That would really be risky. Uh, that was my experience in general in corporate life. So that was another reason I started Serious Eats. I wasn't a very good employee. You weren't a corporate guy, huh? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. I hear you. I, I think I'm a good employer, but I was—I was not a good employee. Well, that brings me to the next point because you said mm, they didn't want to hire you, maybe because you were a little too confident, because you were too. Well, they told they yes. Uh, I talk about in the book. I called the acting president after I found out he was negotiating with the other finalist. And, he, and, and I said, well, what happened, Jeff? And he said, well, you scared a lot of people in Providence. This is when the Providence Journal Bulletin people owned the, the site. Uh, and I said, well, why did I scare them? He, sa he said, you had so many ideas and you seemed so confident. I didn't know that was a bad thing. <laughs> but I guess it, was, it is in corporate life. Yeah, uh, I guess they sort of figured, and we, you know, we, we were hearing a lot of that in the... Uh, in the upcoming election campaigns yeah. too. I mean, you have a lot of ideas, but then they probably worry about, well, how much is it going to cost? How are you going to implement them? What's going to happen? Yeah, and it would have been a terrible fit. I would not have lasted long. All right, well, I, but as an employer, um, I read your comments on putting together Serious Eats and who you hired and what was happening. And, and you don't, you didn't exactly look at resumes no. too deeply. What was it that you looked for? Well, I would just talk to people and I would read stuff that they'd written and you know, in the beginning I couldn't afford to hire any experienced people <laughs> uh, really experienced editors or writers, so uh, I would just hire the youngest, smartest uh, people I could afford and just turn them loose on the world. And, hey, they were all looking for a byline. I mean, and, you know. they, and it worked out for everybody. Right. And even Kenji, uh, you know, because people weren't paying. It wasn't like, I think I was paying more than most other blogs. And I was, I think I was paying, I said in the book, I was paying Kenji $35 a story. And, um, you know, he had another job. And then he moved to New York and and um, and didn't have that job, and so he just started writing for us. And uh, he once told me, he said, "You know, uh, I vowed when I left uh, Cooks Illustrated that I would never have another boss again, and you were the closest thing I could find to not having, to not a, boss. having a boss." <laughs> so that's good. Uh, <laughs> and it worked out for both of us. And in general, that's. That's that's how I uh, manage people. It's like they, if you're a self-starter, if you want to go deep and um, you have writing chops and you have, or you have cooking chops or you have both, uh, then just go. You know, it's like that. That was the that was sort of the entire business plan. Well, you just mentioned something that's interesting, too, or if you have cooking chops. Now, that's interesting because you 
never once mentioned anything about cooking. You don't no, cook. No, I, I mean, I'm a good home cook, You're but an I've eater. never written a recipe. I'm a serious eater. You're a I'm, serious I'm, eater. You know, I'm, I'm not a... Um, but I... Uh, you can recognize when somebody has a craft-oriented approach to cooking and writing, like Kenji or Daniel Gritzer or Stella Parks. You know, they what they all have in common is is they have different versions of the Serious Eats voice, which I used to describe as passionate, discerning, and inclusive. So they all know their stuff. They 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 take what they do seriously and they and they they think nothing, just as I would taste fifty hamburgers before I wrote the hamburger story in the New York Times, you know, Stella's gonna test twenty-five Oreo recipes, you know, or uh, her version of an Oreo, mm-hmm. and and I love that. Yeah. And 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 she can write, and she's she's a really provocative thinker, and and she has a great sense of humor, and so it's like, you know, people. There are people that have the whole package. They're hard to find, but well, that's what I was going to ask you, and I don't even have to ask the question now, and I'll just repeat what you said. I mean. What is so wonderful is that you really encouraged your their personal voice for sure to come through. Yeah, because I had experienced. You know, when you're a freelance writer, you you get, your writing is turned into the sausage of whatever publication you're writing for. So the voice of the paper. Yeah. And, so I mean, when I was writing for the Times, and I wrote for a lot of great editors there, Sam Sifton and Pete Wells were the editor of the section for a while. Um, and they did let me, they'd encourage me to write in my own voice, but that was really unusual, you know, and it still was filtered through the Times sensibility. I mean, it's the Times, <laughs> you know, so I understood that. But it, over time, sort of that gets really old, and you want to, you long to write in your own voice. So, when I would hire people, I I had that in my ex- background. So how could I expect them to adhere to, to my sausage making? <laughs> you know, I I couldn't begin to tell Kenji Lopez all what to write about hard boiled eggs. Oh. You know, or even how to write about them. You've hired so many different people you know, coming in to, to keep this going. I mean, I can't imagine how many people were stuffed in that little room you originally have, and now you have big offices here in Industry City. Yes, it was a little room. It was the it was Ferrara's old cannoli factory on Grand Street. That was our second office with a totally jerry-rigged kitchen that the, the, that the buildings department would have closed in about two seconds if they would have walked in. Mercifully, they never walked in. I've only seen one picture taken in that room, and I don't know. There must have been ten people standing. There are ten, I mean, people, ten people barely fit in that room. With <laughs> a with an IKEA kitchen island, with a uh, an induction cooked up that Kenji found somewhere on the internet, <laughs> and there were all these exposed wires. It was not pretty. But they would take a beauty shot. Of a dish, and it would yeah, it would make your mouth water. Yeah, well, we had a great. There was a, a photographer and food blogger named Robin Lee who was our first visual director. Only I didn't know how to call her a visual director, so I just hired her 
to be an editor, and but she was a phenomenal photographer and also a great blogger. She had, she had a, a blog called The Girl Who Ate Everything, I um, which I don't think she keeps up. She moved to Italy, I mean to Norway, to marry a Norwegian postman. Or does, should I say post person? Post person, postal and care they worker. Both, <laughs> they're both now uh, post people. So she, Robin has become... You don't a, know what she does in her spare time while she's yes. running that ad agency, Ed. And she lives in... Uh, she, they live in Bergen, Norway, which is oh, pretty far north. Beautiful, too. Beautiful place. Very beautiful. Um, you've used this word a couple of times, and it comes through because it comes through and it came through in your book, and it comes through in, in all the writing that you've done over the years. I mean, Ed's the guy who's always walking around holding, like the gooeyest piece of whatever it is you could be thinking because he's tasting it and yeah. and he's he's and letting like, you know whether it's good I or mean, not. <laughs> it's not a hard job, right? You but know, someone has to someone, someone has to has convey to that information. You to know, the when public. I was writing my pizza book and I would call home, my son I think was ten or eleven t- at the time, and he said, "So how's the work going, Dad?" <laughs> you know, because it's hard to imagine that tasting pizza all over the country and all over the world it it's could be job. described as work <laughs> yeah right tough and life someone's got to do it right? yeah exactly yeah. um but you you mentioned this word that i was talking about before in talking about the people you hired and how you chose them and what you wanted out of them and that was something that you've always expressed in all your work and that's passion yeah passion for food and humanity you know it's yeah. like that's the common thread of anything I've ever done in my life. You know, it's like I've been really lucky to make my living through my passions um, and and still upright to be the elder statesman of someone who, who makes their living through their passion, you know. <laughs> and, and I don't take that responsibility lightly, you know, and, I, yeah, and I'm you. very grateful. Well, I, I think- also have a very understanding wife. That's helpful. <laughs> yes. Uh, who's very successful literary agent. So, um, uh, but, you know, the book uh, the, and the story of Serious Seats would not be complete without mentioning her because uh, it, you know, you need a supportive partner uh, when you when you embark on this insane Adventure, adventure that I embarked upon, and I had one, so I was very lucky that way too. Well, I'm sure what you don't think about every day and didn't think about every day while you were trying to cobble this together and make it work, and you stuck with it. You were one of those guys who was not going to lose. You were going to keep at it. Well, it, it's funny you say that because I once met with a banker, and 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 he was like, "Congratulate!" And this was in the middle of the struggle, right? And it was just like. Congratulations on Serious Seats. It's really great. And so I said, well, you know, I really like to win. And he said to me, you know, that's bull. Everybody likes to win. The people who drag their businesses across the finish line are the ones that refuse to lose. And I think it's a distinction with a difference. Right. You know, and yeah, I was I was in the refuse to lose camp because I just couldn't imagine giving it up you know it's like I, I you know whenever I would think about it I just like that just can't happen 
And I think that's what you need. It's not just in whether you're starting a food website or or anything, right? It's it take especially when you're under when you're perpetually undercapitalized, which we were. Industry City is New York's hub for the innovation economy. A diverse mix of over 500 businesses call Industry City, or IC, home. Collaborating across a 16-building campus, merging today's creative sectors like tech, content, creation, and design with craft-making and traditional manufacturing. Not to mention some pretty good food as well. The IC food scene is rich yet approachable international experience for every palate. With five acres of outdoor space, more than 50 experiential food vendors and retailers, plus unrivaled tenant amenities, Industry City is a bustling hub where 8,000 people come to work daily and thousands stop by for a visit. So I was very fortunate. I found the right people, and and it came at a, at a good time. And uh, I was pretty determined. You were, and you know, one of the things that I was going to say, you don't that you weren't probably thinking about, but what a lot of young people going into the food world today have to appreciate. You've opened the doors for so many young people to find a way to use their voice to yeah. well, get on the internet to that, write. But I, I hope that's true. You know, I mean, I, uh, I'm really proud of the Serious Eats diaspora. You, you know, should, and you and the book is is really uh, as much about all of them as it is about my life. You know, and and it's about Kenji and Stella and Daniel and and all the people that have come through the uh, the Serious Eats doors, and they're they're permanently in members of the Serious Eats family, you know, and even when they leave to do their own thing or do something else, it's just like, they always come back, which I'm really proud of, you know. Well, in the book, you do include a lot of ups and downs and sad parts of your life, which we all have, you know, losing people and um, what, and you lost your parents at a very young age. What, how do you feel that impacted your your work you know, ethic and I striving think, to lose, yeah, to not to lose. I, I did lose my you know my dad when I was twelve, and then my mother when I was fifteen, and then I was raised by my older brother who became the first investor in Serious Eats. <laughs> so what a tangled web we weave. Was he trying to get you out of the house? Um, maybe? <laughs> but um, you know, I think it affected me in a lot of ways. Number one, you know, it's sort of um, reinforced a determination to move forward, right? Because, you know, what's the choice, right? You can either crawl up into the fetal position when bad stuff happens to you, or you just have to figure out a way to put one foot in front of the other. That's right. And, 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 you know, it was hard to write about that stuff in the book, but I felt it was important because, as you said, everyone deals with a lot of adversity in their lives. You know, I, I don't have a monopoly on, on that. Um, but I, you know, so 
but it also, you know, it allowed me to dream big. You know, because uh, there was, you know, my brother would say, oh, you know, you're never going to be able to make a living doing whatever I said I was wanted to do. But it's different than when it's a parent, you know. And yeah. so it gave me, in a way, it gave me freedom to fail, you know. And But it also made it hard because in the absence of my parents, I tried to make my business into a family, hmm. which has its own set of advantages and disadvantages. Disadvantage, right. So, sure. you know, I... Like when people would leave Serious Eats in the old days, I was devastated because it was like it was like somebody was dying. You know, it's like I couldn't distinguish being disappointed and devastated. Yeah. You know, uh, and so you know, and that I think that too was a result of 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 the things that happened in my childhood. But you know, as you said. Nobody has a monopoly on that stuff. That's right. And and the book, I hope the book is is both a cautionary tale and inspiring. It, a couple different things in it. In addition to that, those experiences, um, you in all your other, you ran a jazz club. You were impresario for many musicians, you ran an ad agency that did incredible campaigns for names that we would all know, um, but your passion was always to get back to this yeah. food. Yeah, and I would always, and even, you know, like the trouble with the ad agency was that when, you, when you're running an ad agency, especially somebody else's ad agency, you can't only take on clients you're passionate about. <laughs> yeah. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah. You know, so, um, well, you know, and that, that reminds me of a story in the book that you told, and I'll let you tell it is you were writing some articles for the times for the food section. And they're always great. His articles would always be on the front page. You'd see this big slice of pizza or this bagel, right. you know, with, and you, someone left the writing post and you wanted to get hired to be on staff, yeah. and Sam Sifton was um, hiring. Sam Sifton, and what did was, he tell you? It was his first stint as editor of the section. He's mm -hmm. now editor, the food editor for the whole paper. But um, so I heard he was looking to hire somebody. So I said, "Hey, you know, Sam, I'd love the gig, and let's go have lunch and talk about it." And, and I said, "So what do you think?" And because I was, you know, is it. When you're a freelance writer, it's always feast or famine. You know, either you have too many assignments looking, yeah. or you don't have enough. Looking for the next job while you're yeah, doing a job. Yeah, exactly. Right? So, so I said, so what do you think? You know, you know I can write. You know I'm a good reporter, you know, and, and we work well together. And he goes, I'm not going to give you the job. So I said, why? He said, because you are not meant to work at a place like this. You know, it's like if I gave you the job, I'd have to send you on assignments to fill space in the section that you weren't necessarily passionate about. And that's not what you should be doing. Yeah. And you and then he said, I know you're going to be really pissed at me, but you're going to thank me in the end. And it's good read. Me, it turned out to be true. <laughs> yeah. Good read on you for sure. Um, you. 
you were passionate about your food, yes, and you were always in search, kind of your your modus operandi was finding the best of. Yeah, that's that. you know, and that's that's what my first book became, which was a guy, a sort of a reverent guide to where to find the best of anything in New York, in the New York foodscape. And um, and people would always say, well, wh- how do you know what's the best? And I said, I, it's one of these, I think, therefore I am kind of things. <laughs> and you can read my stuff and go try the burgers and make your own determination. And I... And more often than not, people would say, you know, I tried that burger and it was really great. Or I tried that slice of pizza. And that always made me feel really good because not only was that did it reinforce my own beliefs, but it also gave the handmade food people an early avenue uh, of being recognized. Yes. And, you know, now it's commonplace you know like industry city is filled with artisanal crafts people and and food makers and distillers and you know but you know you have to be as old as i am to remember that when i started doing that kind of writing in 1991 nobody was writing about that stuff nobody was writing about farmers nobody was writing about butchers and they were so happy to talk to me because Finally, someone was recognizing them for what they, what they contributed to the culture, which was right. a lot, right. and still is. So beyond the best of, there was something behind that, and yeah. there was the like story. I lo- you know, my dad was a, uh, I was a, as I talk about in the book, I was a red diaper baby. Both my parents were uh, communists in the 30s when a lot of working class uh, people, especially Jews in New York, were gravitating to the Communist Party, which obviously means something very different these days. And so I inherited their missionary gene. You know, so like they, if you wanted to venture an opinion in my house, you had to bring your A game, you know, and so you had to be willing to stand up on a soapbox. And and that's what I was doing for the burger makers or the butchers or the right. or the uh, or the or the pizzaiolas or whatever, and that's just what I naturally do. I was doing it in music before I was doing it in food. Only I was doing it for jazz musicians because I wanted them to get the recognition they deserve. Mm-hmm. So that's always been my mo. You said that you when you started reading the articles that the people you hired were writing. You were really impressed with them. Um, and I think it was probably probably something Kenji had written or maybe Sully. And you recognized the importance in not just finding the best, but in the storytelling. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that Serious Eats is, in the end, all about storytelling. It is wonderful. That you know, way. like yeah. any... I think any successful media... Uh, entity is about the quality of the storytelling, even in the New York Times, you know, and it's like, look, it's the greatest newspaper in the world, and it's uh, filled with the smartest people. Someone once said, the New York Times is filled with the people that you always thought were the smartest people in your homeroom, you know, and I think it's really true, Um, but, you know, 
so, you know, that was, that was always important to me. And, and you can tell just when you talk to people, you know, like if I would invite them out for coffee, in Kenji's case, we went out for burgers and tater tots, you know, Instead it's of like, coffee. and I, you, you just know, you have, you know, you hone your instincts for like, I, this person has to write for Serious Eats. And we still do that even today, because we still use freelancers too. You said in your book, and it's documented, <laughs> um, for those who are out there trying to start, you know, putting ideas together that you, the most important business lessons can't be learned without starting a business. It's true. I wish it weren't true. Yeah. <laughs> and I learned that it was true the hard way because you just have no idea what's going to happen when you start a business. Even if you, even if you were well capitalized, you know, the, the world is full of good ideas that, that didn't work as businesses and it's and it's also full of bad ideas that somehow miraculously worked as businesses but you just never know you know it's and and i think the culture these days we tend to glamorize startups right there's yeah. something very glamorous about saying well i'm doing a startup you know and 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 it's not that it can't be exciting but as a friend of mine said to me when I started Serious Eats, you are going to enjoy the highest of highs and tolerate the lowest of lows often in the same day when you start your own business. Mm. And it's true. Yeah. I mean, it was true so often. Like every time I was like Sisyphus, you know, it was like the boulder is just about at the top of the hill, you know, when we get a big ad by. And then it was just like, mm, no. It's not. And so you just have to keep going because you never know what you're going to encounter. I say in the book, you know, when I started Serious Eats, I didn't regard Facebook as a competitor. I think the, uh, 2004, which was the first year they sold advertising, I think they sold a few hundred thousand dollars worth. Hmm. And when I, in 2014, when I started to uh, put Serious Eats on the market, I think they they were selling $15 billion. And, and that's in 10 years. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's a crazy thing to contemplate. Well, in, in this sort of DIY method of starting Serious Eats, your business, you, as you say, sort of organically attracted your visitors and over 8 million visitors a month. Yeah. So that's you know, something to us, be proud of. Yeah. yeah. For yeah. us, it was... People would say, well, what's your SEO strategy? It's like, we, we, do the, we tell the best stories we can and we hope that people find it. I mean, you know, that's overly simplistic. We, we obviously obeyed the, the rules of, of search engine optimization, but it's almost impossible to keep up with that stuff because they're based on Google algorithms that they don't reveal to you. Huh. And it's like a black box. And so uh, you can, you can have, you know, you can use best practices, but it doesn't mean you always get the desired result. Well, it attracted advertisers, attracted visitors. It's true. And became a success. And then, of course, 
you sold it, which is what happens. And yeah. What you look and forward they moved to, to doing Industry City. And moved to Industry City. And so right? we have real kitchens that, that <laughs> pass inspection. And we have a shooting you kitchen. You can do films in. And we have a test kitchen. <laughs> and there's, there's, there's an amazing crew of people working here. And so, uh, so it's really worked out. And, you know, well, now the, spa- the space is almost too big. You know, it's we went from being really crowded into a, really an extended closet to these beautiful, this beautiful space with windows all over and a view of the Verrazano Narrows Bridge. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, it sounds wonderful. Well, you have succeeded. It is a success. And um, you told a very interesting story about a pizza maker became a friend of yours, Chris Bianco. Chris Bianco, yes. yeah. And it was his one little thing story. He's, he, he told me when I was interviewing him for the pizza book and I spent a few days with him in Phoenix, he said, I'm just trying to do one small thing right. And I think, I think that's what we all can do. You know, it might become big, you know, and he said to me, pizza is the biggest thing in the world. You know, and and in fact, Chris uh, consulted with the Franks on a slice place uh, right near Industry City in yeah. um, in Carroll Gardens on Court Street. That's right, they uh, right. And those slices are amazing because Chris always brings his A game, and the Frankies know what they're doing too. And Chad Robertson was a, this great bread baker from San Francisco in California was also a consultant. So it was literally like a pizza super group, huh. you know, and, and, and I, and I brought pizza for the crew, series each crew the other week and the slices are awesome. So. Hmm. See, it's back to pizza. No yeah. matter what he does, it always comes how back much to he succeeds, it's always back to pizza. The Would pizza you... is even pizza in the title of the book. Yeah, that's right. You did. <laughs> a food lover's perilous quest for pizza and redemption. <laughs> Would you say that Sirius Eats is your one little thing? Yeah, I do. And and like Chris, to me, it's the biggest thing in the world. But yeah, I do think uh, it was my one little thing. Well, uh, and I couldn't be prouder of the work we do and the people that have uh, that work there now and, and, and the all the members of the extended series each family you know the series each diaspora as we well congratulations to you because through your perseverance and that and that drive and that passion you did create a pretty marvelous thing and as you said who knows what's out there tomorrow yes for today it's your one little thing and you you made it work well thanks thank Thank you you so much yeah Taste of the Past is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. 
You can also find us at facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.